uh, we have a plan in front of us. We can begin to steady this, this ship and, and, and navigate through these waters. So that's one of sort of the ways that applying project management can help to negotiate some of these sticking points. I spoke by phone with Dr. Olivia Scriven at FEMA's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Dr. Scriven serves as the Academia Advisor for FEMA's National Disaster Recovery Support, or NDRS cadre, and has launched an initiative to link communities impacted by Hurricane Michael with technical expertise from colleges and universities to support long-term recovery. For those who may not remember, Hurricane Michael was a Category 5 storm which devastated the Florida Panhandle in October 2018. She and I spoke about this program and the role project management methods and techniques play in engaging local communities and managing expectations. Just a couple of extra notes. A longer bio can be found in the episode notes. Also, my apologies for the audio quality at some points in the interview. The interview was recorded by phone. Now, let's ride the wave. In a world filled with chaos and a myriad of risks, there is opportunity. You're listening to Riding the Wave, project management for emergency managers, where we discuss how we adapt and rise above those rolling waves of hazards and threats we face and rise to the top. And now your host, the president of Pinnacle Performance Management, Andrew Boyarski. I'm speaking with Dr. Olivia Scriven, who is the National Disaster Recovery Support, a recovery coordination crew lead, and an academic advisor with the Federal Emergency Management Agency. And Olivia, I want to thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad for the invitation. So I want to kick off by asking you, uh, based upon the work that you've done with uh, various jurisdictions, where does project management play a role in the emergency management work in terms of mitigation and other phases of preparedness and response uh, in your work that you've been involved with at FEMA? Just to provide your your listeners with a little context, FEMA uh, does its work along three sort of phases, um, planning, response, um, and recovery. Um, I I work in what's called the recovery directorate. And, and as you mentioned in the, in the introduction, I particularly work with the, with the National Disaster Response um, Support Cadre, um, also known as, as NDRS. It's, it's one of the youngest cadres within the agency, and it is specifically charged with coordinating um, post-disaster recovery planning um, and implementation um, and, and carrying out our work. Uh, we coordinate um, efforts with various of our agency partners um, that are aligned with the National Disaster Recovery Framework. Those agencies um, include Housing and Urban Development um, for the Housing Recovery Support Function. Um, It also includes um, Health and Human Services for the Health and Social Services Recovery Support Function. We work with the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, through their um, economic development agency on the economic recovery um, support function, working to get businesses back up and running um, and online, and developing strategies and planning to do that. We work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on infrastructure systems, you know, critical to 
operating a municipality so to restore water, energy, dams, uh, communication, transportation. Um, we also work with the U.S. Department of the, uh, of the Interior on natural and coastal resources. Um, if, if natural environments have been impacted, in, in the case of Hurricane Michael, there was large destruction uh, to the timber industries and, and some species that are uh, endemic to to the Florida Panhandle. There was also destruction to um, a lot of uh, um, historic cemeteries. And so through through NCR, through the Department of the Interior, we work with the state and, and communities on recovery strategies. Um, and the last recovery support function within that is actually um, operated through FEMA, and that's the community planning and, and capacity building, where we're working with um, local municipalities as well as long-term recovery support groups on things at very much the community level, the local level, to plan and begin that, that recovery process. So the role of the, the, the NDRS cadre through is to coordinate that, that interagency uh, recovery, uh, working in partnership with the state and local municipalities. Um, as far as, as my role, um, over the past year, um, NDRS has been experimenting with this, this new specialty called academia advisor. Um, one of the things um, that we've noted, and again, the, the scale and scope and severity of disasters over the past several years has increased. And so the question becomes, you know, how do we, we leverage assets in, in this recovery process? Um, to, to support and augment the work that, that FEMA does. And so colleges and universities are a, a steady presence, um, a credible presence, um, a trusted presence within communities. And so the question becomes, how can we, we leverage those assets and those resources um, to support recovery? And, and that's where, where I come in. My goal is to to link impact, impacted communities uh, with technical assistance um, through uh, colleges and universities local to the area or in partnerships um, with, with, with uh, colleges and universities nationally, whatever the, the, the case might be. And so where does um, project management um, so play a role? So if, if, if if I put my work into the context of the the five five phases of of recovery, the the, the five five phases of, of of project management, um, as we rolled out this new position to try and figure out how we could leverage this, um, I had to structure my work with within those those phases, and that sort of helped to put some structure and some focus um, to that work. And it, it is having that background. Uh, my background is actually in higher education um, administration, particularly um, sponsored research um, and uh, sponsored projects administration. So, you know, within that context, you have to know how to work with a faculty member to take a project from sort of this, this concept and, and, and build it out into a, a well-defined project 
you know, secure funding and work with them to develop a, sort of a, a, a project scope and, and timeline that speaks to um, how this work will be carried out. And I've applied those, those, those processes and those principles to my work as we experimented with this academia um, advisor position. Um, as we sort of conceptualized, um, we went through sort of a, a, a three-month phase of it, it's how, to, how to do this work. And we leveraged um, an existing program through in the Environmental Protection Agency um, in Region 4 called the uh, Colleges and Underserved Communities Partnership Program. They had already uh, leveraged work with universities in the area of um, in, in environmental justice and environmental planning, working with communities on, on problems that they saw and, and, and linking them up not only with assets at, at EPA, with, but with universities in order to do sort of a, a planning process. Um, so we wondered how could we adapt that model within where I was deployed with, with, with Hurricane Michael in the Florida Panhandle. So there was a three-month phase of sort of conceptualization, uh, working out what this would look like, um, going out and doing uh, sort of uh, data gathering, not only with the with the RSFs, getting their input into what this might look like, but with the communities themselves. Um, and then, you know, we sort of moved into the, the, the definition and, and, and planning phase, um, setting up um, a particular structure of what this might look like when we link these communities with the universities for technical support and assistance, you know, and, and that including uh, establishing criteria. As part of that process, we said as part of this linkage, um, it had to be community-driven. Um, the work that FEMA does um, is in partnership with the state um, and in partnership with local communities who have a sense of um, how they've been um, impacted and uh, what are some of the sort of projects and strategies that they might want to implement. So um, for us, it had to be community-driven. It couldn't be something that FEMA thought was important, but what the community thought was important. Um, it had to be rooted in, in one of the RSFs. Um, the recovery support function in order to lend the project um, a sense of, of credibility. Um, you might work with the community and they have an idea that's on a piece of paper, um, but then how do you uh, flush that out and whether or not what you're planning is actually technically feasible. And that was the role of working in partnership with our federal agencies in order to provide that sense of technical assistance um, in order to make certain that the project was feasible and it had some technical merit. As we rolled it out, we said the partnership had to have a defined scope of work. And again, you know, as I mentioned previously, you know, working with communities, they have an idea that's on a piece of paper. Um, but when you when you build that out, what, what does it look like and what can be accomplished within a specific time frame and with the resources that, that you have in front of you, or that you may need to secure in the future. And finally, it, it had to be codified. Um, there had to be agreement between the, the university and the community as to what was being done, who was going to be the point of contact, you know, what were going to be the deliverables, what were going to be the, what was going to be the, the time frame 
and each had to agree um, that they wanted to work with each other in order to, to carry out this this this, this project. Um, when we moved to, to launch and execution, and that's when we set up site visits and regular meetings with the two partners to work out further the, the scope of the project. And then we had a, an, an official kickoff uh, where we did a site visit, looked at the impacted area, sat down around a table and defined further what was going to be done, who's responsible, timeline, points of contact. When we look at performance and control, from FEMA's perspective, because our work in a state is, is term limited, um, 50 weeks, the performance on, on our end um, really depended on where in that 50-week process that, that project was initiated. Um, but we would work with the community and the university to monitor, um, answer any questions as they work through that initial partnership period. And for me, the final stage, the closeout, it was important to have an exit plan. It was important, you know, just equally as important to understand what you were going to do at the beginning. Um, it was equally important to have in place a plan to say how you're going to transition um, out because, again, FEMA has, has a term limit. So uh, when you ask where does project management play a role um, in emergency management, it is actually serving as that sort of that guiding force to facilitate recovery and to do it in a way that is clear, that is transparent, that is organized, and that has uh, levels of accountability and performance measures in planning to make sure um, that the project uh, moves along smoothly and that there's buy-in um, on both ends and there's ownership on both ends. On that note, when it comes to dealing with these different stakeholders, you're looking at uh, academia and you're looking at community members, perhaps other stakeholders, they all approach this in a different way. How does uh, project management address some of those challenges that come up with, say, different perceptions, expectations, in some cases, some timelines, because, uh, you know, teaching a course, as I do in a university, you know, we're, we're, we're working according to a semester schedule, and, uh, of course, uh, any person who is in government works according to, you know, the legislative schedules and things of that sort. How does, how does project management sort of square the circle, so to speak, in terms of dealing with some of that? You've actually put your your finger on that that point um, because in project management, you know, there, there's a process of planning and and launching, and within that, um, working with the two with, with various entities uh, across entities um, entities, and this includes the, the recovery support functions, the federal agencies. You're working with the local communities, who, as you probably well know, when, when you work um, on a, a a task force or you're part of a, a county board of commissioners, you not only do that, but you have another job. And so, you know, within that, um, the federal agency, FEMA, uh, is the one that the sort of the, the, the steady force. So it's important within, you know, developing those project management skills to learn how to um, convene and, and manage stakeholder expectations. and also learning how to bring together a group 
and iron out what will be the timeline here um, that will be amenable to, to all parties. What can be a timeline that fits into a semester or an academic year? What might be the benchmarks and what, what might be the deliverables along, along that timeline so that the community doesn't you know, feel as though, okay, wow, it, it's taken a very long time. But if you have those conversations up front, you have those negotiations up front, and everybody, you know, can sign off, then you have a, you know, a, a clear meeting of the, of the mind. And that doesn't mean that there, you know, you might not have to revisit that timeline along the implementation process, but at least, you know, all parties have a clear sense of, okay, this is the path forward. And, and as you can imagine, working in a disaster, working in recovery, you're working with a range of stakeholders, with a with a range of skill sets, a range of expectations, where where every project is considered important, and you know there may be some frustration, which is which is quite understandable. Um, there will also be some some unclarity, but you know using these tools and processes within that project management sort of life cycle can help to alleviate some of those. And you know can put in place a, a process to to gain the confidence of of all stakeholders at the table that uh, we have a plan in front of us. We can begin to steady this this ship and, and and navigate through these waters. So that's one of sort of the ways that applying projects can help to negotiate some of these sticking points. Can you give me an example of a project that you were involved in? It could be one from Hurricane Michael uh, in the Florida Panhandle area or another one where there's some empirical evidence of project management being a major success factor in how that project was carried out. As I pointed out, FEMA, the NDRS cadre, has been experimenting with this um, academia advisor position and this idea of, of linking universities with communities for, for technical assistance. Um, and this has only been sort of folding out w within the last year. So there really isn't any hard um, evidence at this point. You know, we're going to have to wait for about a year uh, when we check in periodically uh, with these partnerships to see how things are going. Uh, when we get um, the final report, and again, we'll get final reports um, or interim reports, depending on, on where this, they started at the end of the 2019-2020 the, um, uh, academic year, which will be, you know, May, June, depending on which area uh, of the country you live in. And we'll begin to get that data and, and begin to understand what worked, what didn't, what needs to be improved, um, so forth and so on. So I don't have any hard data at this point. You know, I only have, you know, anecdotal evidence based on what we've done. Um, I think, um, you know, I was reading through some articles. There has been um, some work in in Asia as well as in the U.K. with, with, with many large-scale disasters. There was some work done. There was a, there was a literature review done. There were some case studies done. And there was some hard evidence that came out um, that showed critical success factors supporting, you know, the use of a project um, management model. 
So, you know, you, you might want to take a look at that, but some of the, the observations that came out of that, particularly looking at uh, tsunamis in, in Sri Lanka or uh, earthquakes in, in Haiti, uh, many of the things that I've pointed out uh, there have, have borne true in some of these case examples. And that is, that is again, a level of transparency that is also uh, the ability to sit down and, and work with stakeholders to agree on goals and objectives, agree on a, on, on a work plan, agree on the feasibility of that plan. And, that, and, that's, and that's part of, of, of managing expectations, understanding resource needs, putting together contingencies, if there are resources needed out of uh, what's already uh, available or in front of you, um, making sure that you uh, account for that. And also uh, making sure that throughout this process, there's a certain level of ongoing and transparent um, communication, you know, that there's a team approach and that you are involving the community stakeholders at all levels of the process so that um, they feel as though they own this, um, they are helping to drive it, and it's consistent with, with what they see as a problem, and it's consistent um, also with the, the, the context uh, of the community. It's one thing to, to come in and to know that these are things that work. They have proven successful, but will they work in that particular geographical and, and cultural context? So having that community there to say, well, yeah, that, that, that sounds good, and, and I'll just give an example. With Hurricane Michael, uh, we were working with a, a, rural, a rural community um, in, in, in Calhoun County um, that was prone to, to flooding um, from the Apalachicola River and, and various of the communities, particularly in some economically um, underserved areas, ha, um, particularly bore the brunt of this. And one of the things that was clear from an outside sort of observation is that these houses needed to be elevated. Well, in talking with the community members and working in a rural environment, and there's a certain culture and there's a certain aesthetic, uh, they were not uh, amenable to, to elevating the houses for various reasons. They didn't like the aesthetics of the way that it looked. Many of the, the, the residents were older, um, so, you know, having to climb upstairs uh, was not an option. And, and as we looked at um, what had been done there with some of the houses that had already been elevated, it was sort of using a, an outdated model. They were elevating them on cinder blocks, which is, is not the most aesthetically pleasing, or uh, using other mechanisms that were um, not consistent with, with, with current building codes and, and, and building aesthetics. So it was clear to us that one of the things that was needed uh, was sort of raising awareness and, and, and education, um, showing the models of, of some newer ways and some newer uh, building strategies that could account for the aesthetics, that could account for accessibility by, by populations that perhaps um, couldn't climb steps, uh, and that also um, would not be um, totally antithetical to, to sort of the, 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 the geography of, of the community. But it's having those conversations and, and having that awareness, not just on something that is engineering fe feasible or suggested, but something that, is, that can be embraced and supported by, by the community 
um, itself. So, so when we talk about data, with the work that I've done so far, there's some, some um, anecdotal data um, that um, these projects are moving along. But I think within a year, within two years, there'll be some more hard evidence to show what worked, what didn't, and, and how to refine this model. This course is designed for future emergency managers. And uh, from the work that I've done and uh, that I've been involved with in emergency management, that role seems to be changing uh, to a degree. Um, you know, it used to be really sort of first response focused, um, really just looking at, you know, how do we, how do we respond in the, in the heat of, how do we recover uh, and deal with the disaster um, aftermath? And now we're looking more at a more holistic approach to it, looking at aspects of mitigation, resilience, uh, so to speak, at a higher level, uh, prevention aspects when it comes to acts of terrorism or uh, to human-caused disasters. Um, in, in light of that, and, and you, I think, touched upon this in a number of different areas, the soft skills that project managers need to have. Um, what are, are, are some of those skills? And you talked about in, in some specific areas, but are, what can you speak to in terms of suggestions that uh, future emergency managers should uh, develop in terms of their skill sets that can help them along, uh, along these processes and managing these types of projects? There is credibility and worth in being technically skilled and understanding engineering concepts or understanding flood, you know, mitigation um, and, and, and things of that nature. Um, but as we talk about mitigation and helping communities to understand how to better prepare for and be able to withstand a disaster, that requires being able to change attitudes and, and behaviors. So when we talk about um, emergency, man emergency management and mitigation, it's not only understanding the technical aspects, but to have those skills to understand, you know, being culturally competent, to, to work in a community that perhaps might be, be different from your own, and, and how, do you, how do you navigate um, that environment in, in that circumstance. Um, for me, uh, one of the greatest learning curves was understanding rural community. You know, I'm from New York. I'm from Harlem. I've lived in urban America all my life. Uh, but there's a certain culture and a certain pride in working uh, and living in rural areas. Um, it's by choice. But you need to be able to um, uh, exhibit a certain level of appreciation for those factors as you're working with communities. So that's a skill set um, that emergency managers uh, need to be able to develop. Being able to communicate, being able to negotiate, being able to sort of influence and, and, and understand how to do that without being, you know, hard, or hard hit about it. Um, and there's also the skill of being patient and being able to, to listen. You know, you want to get things done. You, you, you know, you want to say that, you know, we, we, we've executed these number of projects or done these number of things. But working with a, a range of stakeholders, with a range of skills, 
mindset with a with a range of expectations requires a certain level of of, of patience and knowing when to to push and knowing when to pull back. This is as much a skill as as sort of a, a learned art. But this is going to, these kinds of skills are going to become more and more important as we move from simply responding. Um, but working with communities to understand and appreciate how to build uh, resilience and, 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 and how to mitigate, particularly, you know, when you're, when you're in the thick of things. So I, I think these are the, the, the kinds of skill sets that are going to be more and more critical for emergency managers uh, moving forward. I want to thank you very much, uh, Olivia, for joining the podcast and for sharing your knowledge and experience uh, in this area. And again, I, I want I want to thank you for for inviting me. Part of building uh, this resilience is is building um, a future workforce um, in this area. So it's really important for those going into the field. We spoke with Dr. Olivia Scriven, who is the National Disaster Recovery Support Cadre, Recovery Coordination Crew Lead, and Academia Advisor with the Federal Emergency Management Agency. You may find out more information at www.pinnacleperformancemanagement.com. At Riding the Wave, we like to get your feedback, and you may contact me directly at my email address. Andrew at pinnacleperformancemanagement.com. Thanks for listening and come back soon for our next podcast. You've been listening to Riding the Wave, hosted by Andrew Boyarski, President of Pinnacle Performance Management and Clinical Associate Professor in Emergency and Project Management at NYU and John Jay College. All thoughts are his own.